Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. A friend of mine thought he had the opportunity for a, a teachable moment with his young son. And I know that any time a preacher starts a story like that, you might be like me and assume that this story's made up, but, I, but trust me that this is a real story. Um, so he and his son were driving uh, somewhere, and uh, they, they were having a conversation. His son was talking about this friend of his who always seemed to have the latest and greatest toys, always had the newest uh, technology, always just a little bit better than what he had, and they were talking about that. And, and my friend uh, began to explain to his, his son, he said, well, uh, you know, if, if you remember a few years ago, your, your friend's dad actually passed away. And so... Uh, probably what happened is, is your friend's dad had a, had a good life insurance policy, and so, and so when that's how your friends able to always have all these um, latest and greatest toys and, and games and, and technology and all that stuff. It's, it's probably for, for that reason. He explained what a life insurance policy was and, and all of that. There was a long silence. And his son said to him, uh, Dad, do, do you have a life insurance policy? There was another little pause. My friend thought for a second and said, well, yeah, yeah, I do. And there was another long pause. His son said, I bet if you passed away, we could afford cable. <laughs> I understand that's a really dark story, but I think it's funny, so I, I appreciate you laughing. It's been said that the only two certainties in life are uh, death and taxes, and I can't do anything about the second one of those certainties today other than depress you a little bit, remind you that tax season's going to be here before too long. But I hope this morning that uh, through our time together, we can take some time to think a little, think well about the first of those two certainties, death. I, I know we, we just came out of the Christmas season, and so Maybe it's a, uh, not a popular topic or a strange topic to want to wanna bring up today, especially as you know, we just entered into a new year. Congratulations, we're going to talk about death. But I think it's one that we wrestle with pretty regularly. We might not put it in so sharp of terms, but underneath so many of our actions day after day is an underlying fear of death. Diets and exercise plans promise us that if we follow their, their regiments that we will be healthier. And, and sure, that has the short-term benefits of, of, of health and improved life and, and things like that. But the flip side of that is extending our life expectancy. Getting to push off that certainty of death as far as we can. We buy life insurance policies to try to prepare ourselves and those around us against the inevitable Maybe we find ourselves pondering the reality of death, whether it's for ourselves or, or uh, those around us. When, when am I going to die? What happens after we die? What can I do to push that day off as far as I can? What can I do to make sure that nothing bad will happen to me or to those that I care about? Death is unknown. It's uncertain. We can't plan for it. We can't schedule it. We can't know when it will show up or who it will show up for when it does. And that can be a source of a lot of fear and anxiety, for good reason. And that is not a fear or anxiety that has just been invented in the 21st 
century. It is one that humanity has wrestled with ever since Adam and Eve were sent out of the Garden of Eden. It was a fear the seven churches of Revelation are wrestling with as John writes them this book. The Roman Empire promised peace and prosperity and life for its people. But the other side of that coin were threats of death for those who were opposed to them. Threats of death upon armies that refused to surrender to the might of Rome. Threats of death for those who were willing to set, them up, set themselves up against Rome and its might. Threats of death for those living within the empire who were not willing to give Rome its due. Threats of death upon those who did not offer the right sacrifices, who did not participate in the right civic rituals, who did not pledge their allegiance first and foremost to Rome. Threats of death upon those who did not offer sacrifices to the deity of their specific line of work that ensured that, that their, their businesses would flourish. Threats of death on those who would not acknowledge Rome and its emperor as lord of all. Threats of death on those who were so bold as to say that Caesar was not a god, but in fact... This Jewish carpenter and rabbi from the, from the small city of Nazareth who had been crucified by the Roman Empire was in fact resurrected from the dead and reigning in heaven as the Lord of all creation. John does not write the book of Revelation in a vacuum, constructing an elaborate puzzle of the future that, that had no relevance to his day that he hoped would maybe help someone out way off in the future. He writes this book to real people. He writes this book to friends, to brothers and sisters in Christ that he knew personally who are facing threats, threats of persecution, even facing the threat of death because they have bowed their knee to Jesus. And because they have bowed their knee to Jesus, they will not bow their knee to the authorities over them. We get a small glimpse at that threat of what it looks like in chapter 2, one of the letters that John records that Jesus speaks to one of the seven churches, the letter to the church of Pergamum. Jesus commends their faith. He, he is, rejoices at the fact that they have remained faithful to him. He says, you did not renounce me even in the days when Antipas was put to death. We don't get the full story, but at least one of these seven congregations that receives this book has experienced firsthand what it is like for one of their brothers to lose their life because of their allegiance to Jesus. As you might imagine, that threat induces fear, as it does for so many of our brothers and sisters across the globe even today. So what are God's people supposed to do in the face of this threat, whether it's the threat of death from a government against those who belong to Jesus or just the general anxiety in our world that stems from the fact that we are all mortal people bound by the reality of death? The message that John has for the seven churches of Revelation, the message of the gospel for us today is that God's people have a different view of death. In fact, in the passage we're going to look at today, we see God's people can look at death and see it as a blessing. Not in a morbid way, but in a way that is grounded in gospel hope. I'm not saying that the message of the gospel is that we have to be excited about death, that we have to go seeking it out or longing for it or anything like that. Death was not intended to be a part of God's creation. It was and is an enemy that we should not welcome in. 
And yet at the same time, it is an enemy that has been defeated by Christ. It is an enemy that does not hold the power that it claims to hold. Death is not the end for God's people because our God has defeated death in Christ. And that defeat of death means that when we are faced with its reality, we can have confidence that in Christ we can be delivered through death into life with God. We're going to cover a portion of Revelation chapter 14 this morning. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or follow along with the words on the screen that I'll read here in a few moments. But before we read this text, it's good for us to zoom out just a a little bit and get a sense for where we are in the story. In Revelation chapter 13, we are told about two beasts, one from the sea and one from the earth. And both of these beasts are working for the dragon, the devil, Satan. The first beast wages war against God's people, even puts them to death if they refuse to worship it. And the second beast forces people on earth to worship it as if it was a god and forces them to pledge their allegiance. So chapter 13 ends on this this down note, sounding as if all of humanity has, has followed after these beasts instead of following after God. And then chapter 14 begins. And in contrast to those who have chosen to follow the beast, we are told of God's people who have remained faithful to him, who've pledged their allegiance to the lamb who was slain, who have bowed down before Jesus, no matter what the consequences might be for that. They've not fallen for the tricks of the beast. They have remained faithful to God. They worship Him and Him alone. They have not been stained by the world. There's a whole lot in there. I've just spent a couple minutes, if that, on passages that probably deserve an hour each. But I take the time to summarize that so that we can have our bearings as we come into this passage. What we have before us as we start reading at Revelation 14.6 is two clear sides. God's side and the side of the dragon. And this passage describes the message presented to both sides about the reality of their situation. And there's a whole lot of details that we could focus in on and try to explain and find parallels with our world today. And when we feel the desire to want to do that, we need to remind ourselves that the book of Revelation was written to those seven churches that that have letters written to them in chapters 2 and 3. And it's addressing the situations that they find themselves in. Not to us living in America in 2021, or I guess 2022. It was 2021 when I wrote that. With all those details as well, as we read this text, if you find yourself overwhelmed by what's going on and there's too much imagery and it's all confusing, and I just need someone else to tell me what it says, I want to offer a summary of the main points of the book of Revelation that I think we see come out in this passage and come out all across the book. And, and these three main points are points that I've heard from lots of different people and attributed to lots of different people. So I don't know who came up with it first, but just know that I didn't come up with it. So don't give me too much credit. But the, it's been said that the three main points of the book of Revelation are point one, God's team wins. Point two, you get to pick which team you get to be on. And point three, don't be stupid. That's, that's about as good a summary as I can make. So with all that in place... Let's read our passage this morning. Revelation 14, verses 6 to 13. John says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. 
Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. The first important thing I want you to notice from this passage is that this message from this angel is for the entire earth. There at the end of verse 6, it says it is for every nation, tribe, language, and people. And as all-encompassing as that sounds on its own, it is even more so when we notice that that list there is a group of four terms. Uh, That number four across the book of Revelations used to refer to all the earth, like how we might refer to the four corners of the earth today. So this angel goes out into all the earth with this message. And we're first told that this angel is the message of the eternal gospel. And that, that designation comes before we're told what the message specifically is. And for that reason, it might surprise us a little bit if we keep reading into verse 7 when we hear the angel say, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. That might not be where we would go right away if we are thinking about what to say to summarize the message of the eternal gospel. I mean, the word gospel on its own literally means good news. And so when we summarize the gospel, when we summarize the good news of Jesus, we typically default in talking about God's love for us. Jesus died for our sins so that we uh, can have a relationship with God. And that's absolutely right. There's nothing wrong with that. Especially in our world today, we probably don't naturally default into saying things, summarizing the gospel by saying, fear God and give him glory. Worship God. He's the creator, ruler, judge of all creation. Just sounds, if we're being totally honest, a little more like a threat than good news. And I guess it would be a threat if it were not the reality. Yes, the love of God is an absolute key component of the gospel, but the message of the gospel is a narrative that tells us the true story of the world and of our existence. We were created by God to exist in a relationship with Him. And when we rebel against that, we are not just rebelling against God, although we are doing that. We're also rebelling against the very way that we were created to function. The pronouncement of this angel is calling humanity to acknowledge reality and live as we were created to be. God is a judge. But that judgment is not reserved simply for those that God decides that he does not like on a whim. It's reserved for those who willfully turn away from him and in so doing, turn away from how they were created to function. He holds out an invitation. 
to anyone who might want to come into relationship with him, to enter into his people and into communion with him. And when we enter into that, we don't find a despot, a despot dangling us over the fires of hell to scare us into worshiping him. We find a God who is perfect in every way, who loves us, desires that we would know him so that we can experience life as we were created to live it. And in light of that message, God is God of all, and therefore all of creation should give Him glory and worship Him. A second proclamation is made by a second angel. Babylon is fallen. Now, if we were reading this as a history book, we might read John's words there and think, well, yeah, obviously Babylon has fallen. John, as you're writing, it's been centuries since the Babylonian Empire was, was on the earth and was powerful. But if we remember back in our Old Testaments, we remember that Babylon was the empire that destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. And from that point on in Jewish writings, Babylon becomes almost the boogeyman, the complete epitome of all that is wrong with the world, all that is evil. And as John is writing, it has not been that long since another empire has destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, Rome. And so it makes sense that in this book, John will often refer to the Roman Empire as Babylon to draw that parallel between the two. But even then, even explaining that background, it, th that comparison still might seem a little odd. That proclamation might sound a little strange because as John is writing this at the end of the first century, Rome seems to be doing just fine. I mean, they're the most powerful empire on the planet as he writes, maybe the most powerful empire the world has ever seen. John, what are you thinking? Like, look around the world around you. Rome has you as a prisoner as you're writing this. How can you say that Rome has fallen, it's coming apart at the seams? And that brings us to another key point that the book of Revelation is trying to get us to see. Things are not as they seem. The Greek word that gets translated revelation is literally, literally just means unveiling. It's the word that we get our English word apocalypse from. John is pulling back the curtain for us so that we might be able to see things from God's perspective. When I was a kid, one year for vacation Bible school, uh, we had this uh, machine on stage that was supposed to be a time machine. Uh, over here, I know I'm not on the stage of my home church right now, but it was on this part of the stage, and so in my brain, that's, that's where it was at. Uh, and it was supposed to be a time machine. And so every night during vacation Bible school, there would be sketches of some sort. I'm giving the kids, I'm giving Kim ideas for VBS next year. I'm realizing that right now, but that's okay. Um, where was I? There, so there was this time machine on the edge of the stage, and every night there would be a skit of some sort, and at some point during the skit, there, the time machine would fire up, and there would be lights and smoke and music playing and all this stuff, and like kids would go in, and adults would come out because they were time traveling, and they were older all of a sudden, and all this was going on, and, and it was so incredible and things like that. And I don't remember how old I was that, that year for, for vacation Bible school, but I do remember... Uh, that at one point during the week, I, I came to realize that, that that was not actually a time machine on the edge of the stage. That actually, you know, when, when someone went in and came out and was a lot older, that it was a kid went inside and a, an adult, a different person came out. And that all the lights going off and the music playing and all that, it was my dad inside the cardboard box flipping light switches to make it all look like, like this incredible thing. But things were not as they seemed. And that might not be a great parallel, but that sort of unveiling 
is what John is doing for us in the book of Revelation. The world is not what it claims to be. You might be led to believe that that is a time machine over there, but really it's a bunch of cardboard and someone inside flipping light switches. Rome might claim to be the most powerful force in the world, holding power over every aspect of your existence, and you have to do what they say and deny Jesus or else, but that is not the case. Rome, Babylon has fallen. It's under God's judgment. And anyone who aligns with it will fall under that same judgment. Don't fall for the lie. Worship God and God alone because He is the only one who truly holds power over all things. And this warning continues telling us that the fate of Babylon is shared by anyone who falls in line with Babylon. And this is not John celebrating as he writes that those people that he doesn't like are finally getting what they deserve. This is a loving parent begging a rebellious child to stop the behavior that is going to kill them if they let it continue. And to people suffering under the power of Rome, people wondering if following Jesus is worth the threats, the persecution, the imprisonment, not being able to conduct business, if if it's even worth maybe going to death, John gives them the bigger picture. Babylon is not what it's cracked up to be. Rome is not as powerful as it leads you to believe. It might claim that you have to go along with it to find hope and peace and prosperity and life, but anyone following the ways of Babylon will find destruction as its result. Not because God is looking for excuses to punish people, but because the power behind Babylon is Satan. And anyone who identifies with the enemy of God will face the result of that choice. And it's at this point in the sermon where my guess is at least some of you are either really antsy or really excited uh, because you're hoping that I'll make a turn and talk about who Babylon is today. And you're hoping that it will just uh, condone everything that you already believe. And I pronounce that all the people you don't like are under God's judgment. And I'll get up here and say, Babylon's the Republicans. Babylon's the Democrats. Babylon is the people who say you have to wear masks. Babylon is the people who say you don't have to wear masks. And I don't mean to disappoint too much, but I think there's a lot more going on in this passage than that. In fact, when we make this passage about trying to figure out whether my opinions are right or wrong today, and we, we neglect what, God, what John is saying to the people that he is writing to, and we miss the point of this passage altogether. It's not so simple to just say that Babylon is whoever I don't like. The spirit of Babylon is present in anything that calls us to trust in it instead of in Christ. The call of this passage is not to look around the world around us and see who identifies with Babylon. The call of this passage is to look at ourselves and see if we have Babylon in us. Babylon is anything that might tell us that if we truly want to be happy, if we truly want to be blessed, if we truly want to have life to the full, we need to make it a priority instead of pledging our allegiance to Christ and Christ alone. When we face those temptations, we see the spirit of Babylon at work. And those appeals might look really good and fancy and have good marketing on their side, but the proclamation over all those things, no matter who they are or what they are, it remains the same. Fallen is Babylon. Fallen is anything and everything that claims to be superior to the call of Christ. Fallen is anything that demands us to give up Jesus so that we might take hold of what it is offering. Fallen are the offers of life in this world. 
I could never deliver on their promises. The point of this passage is to encourage God's people to hold on to him even when it seems like everything is aligned against you. The point of this passage is to not celebrate the destruction of others, but to encourage God's people in the face of what might seem like their destruction. The point of everything going on in this passage is verse 12. Patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Now, I know we might hear that and come away a little bit disappointed. I mean, this passage is kind of exciting. It's got angels flying in the air. It's got burning sulfur and smoke and torment. And the call from all of that is keep God's commands and keep following Jesus. Yeah, that's it. In the midst of everything going on in this passage, the call is for God's people to be faithful because faithfulness leads to resurrection. And that is why this passage ends with the blessing of verse 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Those who remain faithful to God will experience the reward of that faithfulness, even if it doesn't look like it from an earthly perspective. The world around the seven churches of Revelation is making promises to them that they will be blessed if they fall in line. They will be blessed if they worship the emperor as if he is a god. They will be blessed if they offer sacrifices to the appropriate deities for their city or for their line of work. They will be blessed if they participate in the rituals and ceremonies of the empire and of their region, and that if they don't do that, they will be cursed. They'll be ostracized. They'll be looked at as strange. They'll be considered suspect or deviant maybe even imprisoned, maybe even put to death. And John calls his brothers and sisters to reject that story in favor of something better. The blessing the world around us can offer from falling in line is nothing compared to the blessing available from God because the blessing from God extends beyond the grave into resurrection. And that is why our call as God's people today is to keep our eyes first and foremost on Christ. In a world constantly trying to avoid or escape death, God's people react differently. We don't embrace death, we don't go seeking it out, but we live with an awareness that death is not the end of the story because our God, who is creator and sustainer of all things, has defeated death in Christ, and therefore we live with hope in God. We don't try to find hope from the world around us. We don't trust in things that promise blessing but never deliver. We don't buy the lies peddled to us every day that we need to go along with the agenda of the world around us if we truly want to experience blessing and life. We trust in Jesus. We trust in the life he came to this earth to bring us. Those who worship the Lamb can know that our God rules over all things. He can be trusted with our life and he can even be trusted in our death. experienced a lot of death this year, both in our nation as a whole and in this community, whether it's people from this congregation, those connected to this congregation like we even just prayed for earlier today. And through all of that going on, through the midst of funerals and loss and grief, on more than one occasion, I've heard from, from multiple people who I'm looking at right now say something to me to the effect of, I just don't know how someone makes it through something like this without the church. And that statement is getting at the exact same thing that the blessing at the end of this passage is getting at. 
faithfulness to Jesus changes our perspective on the world around us. It even changes our perspective on death. Because of Jesus, we are able to say that those who die in the Lord, no matter what the circumstances of their death might have been, they are blessed because death brings us into the presence of God and brings with it the hope of the resurrection to come at Christ's return. And in the meantime, as we live as God's people, looking forward to that day when Christ returns and makes all things new, the call for us is the same as it was for the people John was writing this book to. To hold on to Jesus. And for that reason, I want to end this morning with three points of application. One for your head, one for your heart, and one for your hands. For your head, uh, understand what is the imagery of this passage. And I know that might be, sound like a big ask, but if it's true that a picture is worth a thousand words, then the word pictures that John paints, even in just these seven verses have a whole lot in there to tell us about who God is and how he's revealing himself to us. So no matter how many times it takes you to read this passage, keep coming back to it over and over again and soak in those pictures. For your heart, feel the hope in this passage that is available for God's people when they hold on to him. When we internalize that hope in ourselves, we can live the sort of bold and faithful life that this passage calls us to. And for our hands, find a way to remind ourselves of the hope of the gospel this week. Maybe that's telling the story of a loved one who has passed away, who has lived this out, this blessing out, and experienced the hope that comes because of the resurrection of Jesus. Tell it to yourself. Tell it to someone around you. Encourage and be encouraged by seeing this exact blessing acted out. Put the words of verse 13 in a place where, where you see it and remind yourself of the truth of this passage. Whatever, however it might be best for you, lean into the hope that is available because of the resurrection of Jesus. Just as the call of this passage remains the same, the blessing remains the same as well. And God's people will be delivered, even through death, into life with their God. That is our hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. That when we were your enemies, when we were destined for death, you did not leave us, you did not treat us as our sins deserved. You sent your son so that we might be made new. And as we live in the midst of that story, having been redeemed and yet not seeing that redemption fully realized just yet, Help us to hold on to you. Remind us of your presence. Remind us of your goodness to us. Strengthen us. Give us faith so that we might walk boldly with you wherever you are leading us. Ground us in the hope of the gospel so we might proclaim it to ourselves and to those around us. Thank you for the hope we have that is available in Jesus, and it's in his name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.